right, good morning. Welcome to our new message series here at Connect Church called Reasons to Believe. If we've never got the chance to meet before, my name is Dan, and I'm one of the pastors here at Connect. And this morning, I'm going to do what no other human in history has ever been able to do. I am going to prove to the satisfaction of everyone on the planet that God exists. Y'all ready for this? Seriously, after this message, nobody is going to disagree. After this service, there will be no atheists left in the world, okay? Next Sunday, every church on planet Earth is gonna be overflowing with people because I am about to drop absolute proof on you that God really does exist. If you showed up this morning and you're skeptical, I hope you're ready because by the time you go to lunch today, you're gonna be a true believer, You might even give in the offering. Like, I am about to show you guys that God really does exist. Now, I can see some of you guys are looking at me kind of skeptically, you know? And I can tell it's going to take some real proof to convince you that God actually does exist. So maybe I should start this morning with the very best piece of evidence we have that God is real. Y'all want some proof? Here's some proof for you. Put it on the screen. This is proof God exists. It's your boy Kanye. Listen, if this is not proof that God is real, I don't know what is. If Jesus can go from singing, I am a God, to Jesus is king, I don't know what y'all are waiting on. Like, it's time to go. No, I'm just kidding, all right? Obviously, that doesn't prove anything. I can't put Kanye on the screen and say, checkmate, atheist, there you go. The ball's in your court. I can't do that, okay? Instead, I'm just kidding. I'm joking around about Kanye. Actually, I'm super excited about what God is doing in his life. I'm praying for his faith, man, I really am. But I think I should probably back up a little bit here, okay? I should start over with this message because the truth is I can't prove to you that God exists, I'm not gonna do that. I can't do that. In fact, nobody can prove that God exists whatsoever. And so instead, what I wanna do in this series is not try to prove or convince or argue you into faith. Instead, I wanna do something a little more subtle. I want, to the very best of my ability, to give you enough reasons to believe that by the time we get done with this series, you would leave saying, well, I may not be convinced, but at least I can agree it is reasonable to have faith in a God. It is reasonable to have a belief in the supernatural and hopefully even in Jesus in particular. So let me set some expectations for this series, okay? Let's just kind of define the parameters of what's going to happen and what's not gonna happen so that none of us get confused. First things first, reasons to believe this talk series that we're doing is about evidence, not proof. You with me? There's a difference between those two things. A lot of people are like, oh, I need proof. Well, you're gonna be waiting a long time to get some proof. Instead, what we wanna do is give you evidence that God is real or evidence that would lead you to conclude it's reasonable to have faith in God. So if you're a Christian and you're here this morning and you're like, all right, I'm about to get that airtight argument so that when I go home next, I could shut my sister up. I could just shut her down at the dinner table. I'm gonna prove once and for all that God's real. You're gonna be disappointed because you won't leave here with an airtight argument. There are no airtight arguments for anything. So if you're here and you're expecting like, boom, you might walk away a little less than fulfilled. 
Now, if you're here and you're a skeptic, and the only way that you would ever seriously consider faith in God is if somebody like me were able to answer and address every one of your objections, you're also going to leave a little bit disappointed because it's impossible for somebody to do that. There are no flawless arguments either for God or against God, or quite frankly, there are no flawless arguments for anything on the planet. And so what we're going to see next week, we won't get into it this week, but what we'll see next week is that everybody, whether you're a true believer or you're a skeptic, whether you are a Christian or you're a rationalist, it doesn't even matter. Everybody comes to their their beliefs about existence and the nature of things with a bunch of assumptions and presuppositions that we can't prove. Like next week, I'm going to demonstrate to you guys how every single person on the planet is operating according to a faith system. You're already living by faith. You just don't know it yet, but we'll get there next week. So this is about evidence. It's not about proof. Don't expect something that nobody can deliver. If you don't want to believe, if you're looking for reasons not to believe, there's plenty of them. Now, the second thing I want you to know is that this is intended, at least, to be a discussion and not a debate, okay? This is intended to be a discussion and not a debate. If you've ever had these sorts of conversations, maybe around the dinner table with your family or in the office break room, you know that these topics can quickly devolve from conversation into chaos, you know what I mean? And the thing that's usually missing in these sorts of debates is respect, That's usually what is missing, mutual respect for the positions and the logic and the arguments of each other. And so in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to start with the assumption that any worldview could be potentially valid if that's where the evidence would point us. So listen, I'm all in on this Jesus thing, right? I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for a long time, but I will tell you that a non-belief in God is at least reasonable, And I'm using that in the philosophical sense. Like, I could be wrong. I could die, and that's all there is. I just take that eternal dirt nap. I don't think that's where the evidence points us, but I will start from the assumption or position that your non-belief is at least a reasonable way to approach things. And I'm gonna ask you to do the same thing, to say, okay, Dan, I, you, you know, I don't agree with you, obviously, but I at least want to come to the point, or I am at the point now, where belief in God could be reasonable, right? So that's what we're gonna try to do. This is not intended to be the final word. I'm not going to like, you know, we're not gonna upload this to YouTube and then, you know, the world is gonna change and people are gonna get saved. That's just not how this is gonna work. Instead, what I wanna do is I wanna give you some things to chew on, And then as you're in the seat and you're arguing with me in your head, you're like, dude, you don't even know what you're talking about. Let me explain to you what's really going on here. Um, Rather than just arguing with me silently in your head, what I'd love for you to do is send me an email. My email address is there on the screen. That's my personal email address, dan at connectcalgary.ca. Send me an email and I'll go grab coffee and we can talk through these things. You don't have to just argue with me in your head. We can argue face to face. It'll be fun, okay? No, I'm just kidding. Listen, we'll have a really good time because we've got mutual respect for one another, okay? So yeah, that's my... I hope. Now, what we're going to do each week in this series is we are going to challenge a popular belief about religion in our world. So we're going to challenge this. We're going to show you how the things that most of our world believes to be true about either faith in God in general or Christianity in particular is actually not supported by the evidence. It's not true. So we're going to challenge this popularly held belief, and then we're going to offer 
were a argument, a piece of evidence that would point us towards God. Again, it's evidence, not proof. Please keep that in mind. So let's dive right in. Okay, let's start by challenging one of the most popular narratives about faith in 2019. I'll put it here on the screen. And I bet some of you guys have heard or seen some version of this floating around before. So the the common word on the street in 2019 in Canada is that the world is becoming more secular. The word secular means less religious. That religion is fading around the world. Science, education, development, they're showing that a belief in God is no longer necessary. And most of the people around you, most of the people in our city, for instance, would believe that the number of religious people in society is shrinking. And pretty soon, religion will disappear basically altogether. I mean, there'll always be some backwards folks somewhere in the world who are worshiping a fake God that they made up in their mind, right? But let's be real here. Eventually, everybody's gonna give up on religion, right? Right? John Lennon summarized this, you know, the the singer of the Beatles. He summarized this quite famously in an interview one time. He said, Christianity will go. It will shrink and it will vanish. I needn't argue about that. I am right and I will be proved right. Have any of you guys heard this line of thinking before? I bet you have. I bet you've heard it in university or from people around you. Religion is fading and secularism is growing. But is that the actual truth? The shocking answer is no, it's not. See, the fact is our world is becoming more religious, not less. When you study the actual data, the research, this is not my opinion. When you study the actual numbers, what you find out is that worldwide people are becoming more religious, not less. The opposite of what most of the people in our city believe is true about faith in God is actually the truth. Sociologists tell us that people are becoming more religious, not less. Now you might be sitting there thinking, but how can that be, Dan? Because when I look around, you know, like our city and I look around our country and things like that, it certainly feels like religion is dwindling, doesn't it? It feels like less and less people have a faith in God. And I'm pretty sure I've read some articles in the past about how Christianity is shrinking and people are, you know, getting away from it in droves and the rise of the nuns, the people who have no religious affiliation. I'm pretty sure I've seen and heard all of that. So what's the deal? How can it be that I've heard and I've even seen some evidence that religion is shrinking, but you're telling us that religion is growing? What's the real deal? Okay, when you hear people talking about religious affiliation or belief in God shrinking, they are nearly always referring to only two regions in the world. When people say, you know, people are becoming less religious and and religion and Christianity in particular, it's dying out. They are usually only referring to North America and Western Europe. That's it. So they say, if you look at religious affiliation and belief in God in Canada and the US and the Western European countries, man, it's fading fast. They're not gonna last much longer. Maybe even by the end of this century, no serious thinking person is going to be believing in God. However, 
if you widen the, the study, the research, the numbers out, and you don't cherry pick a couple of regions, but you look at belief in God worldwide, do you know what you find out? That belief in God and religious affiliation is not waning, it is actually growing at a shocking number. It is growing far faster than we have ever seen in modern history. People are turning to religion, to belief in God, to faith systems in other parts of the world at, at, at rates that are really, really difficult for us to comprehend in uh, 2019 in North America. Now, I put a few um, articles here on the screen. This is a random sampling. There are lots and lots more of them. And uh, I know that just because I put a screenshot on the, on the screen here, it doesn't mean that you actually get to dig into the data. You don't get to read this for yourself. So what we've done for this particular series is we've created a Facebook event. So if you go to our page, Connect Calgary on Facebook, or if you search out Reasons to Believe, you can find this event. And what we're going to do each week is I'm gonna be posting links to all the data that I share with you. So you can read it yourself. You can share it with people if you want. You can find the flaws in my arguments. You can do all of that stuff. And we're also gonna be posting the video of the sections of the messages. So I'd encourage you, go join that event. It's totally free and you'll get access to all of this information and you don't have to simply take my word for it. I find it totally shocking that religious faith in our world is growing and not shrinking because that's not the sense that I get from the world around me. But when you encompass the whole world, you find out that people are turning to faith at unbelievably uh, quick rates. Now, you might be thinking, okay, 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 Dan. I see what you did there. You used a little word kung fu on us. And you're talking about faith in God and religious faith in general. But what about Christianity? Hmm? Isn't that thing falling away? Like y'all had your time, you did your thing, you fought some wars, you conquered a good section of the world, but now we know that that was all bogus. Jesus was just a good teacher. Y'all made him into a deity. That was a mistake. You should have never done that. We know that Christianity is shrinking, isn't it? Again, when you study the research, Christian faith in God is growing as well. See, what's happening is that, yes, in North America and in Western Europe, people are turning away from faith, but we'll talk about why in a moment, that people who had previously identified as Christian are, are more and more identifying as none. However, faith in Christ continues to grow around the world. Why? Because in other parts of the globe, besides North America and Western Europe, the church is absolutely exploding in China, in South Korea, in Africa, in parts of South America, people are turning to Christ at rates that you cannot even imagine even when the data is right in front of you. And again, this is not just like pastor math or my opinion. This is a universally agreed upon sociological phenomenon that around the world, people are turning to Christ, not away from Christ. See, what, what's happening here is that the population centers of Christianity are shifting from the north and the west to the south and the east. If I can put it a little more bluntly, Christianity is becoming less white. And that's okay, because y'all know Jesus wasn't white, right? He wasn't a Scandinavian with blonde hair and blue eyes. He was a brown guy. So it's totally okay. It's a wonderful thing. 
So what we're gonna find is that the largest concentrations of Christians, and I'm telling you the theological and the church leaders that are going to come about in the next century, they're gonna come from other places besides Canada and Europe. So Christianity is not dying out. It's just shifting into another part of the world. In fact, it's continuing to grow. Now you say, but yeah, I mean, here though in Canada and in the US and in London and all that, people are still abandoning the Christian faith, right? Wrong again. When you read the studies, you know what you find out? The number of people who identify with Jesus as their personal savior, they have an evangelical faith, that is also growing. And at the same time, weirdly enough, the people who do not identify with Jesus at all is also growing. So how can that be? It's the middle that's shrinking. It's the people who have been nominally Christian. The people who were raised in church and for years they were like, I guess I'm Christian because, you know, I went to church when I was little or I went to a VBS or I don't know, I'm not a Buddhist, so I guess I'm a Christian. I'm in Canada, right? So like it's the nominal, the middles who are shrinking, But the people who have a personal, active, passionate faith in Jesus, they're growing at this unbelievable rate. So what I want you to understand is that most of the narratives that you've been told about faith and the decline of religion in our world are simply not borne out by the data. They are not true when you look at the research. Now, if you're here and you're thinking this morning, okay, man, but you know, educated, industrialized people are becoming more secular. And all of these people like in the third world and the developing world, yeah, they're turning to Jesus now, but like once they get fully developed like we are here in Canada, they're going to abandon their faith also, aren't they? If you have that sort of attitude, which is honestly quite common, let me challenge you just on a couple of points and then we'll move on to an argument that would point us towards the existence of God. Um, When we say that places like China and South Korea are turning to faith at these incredible numbers, China and South Korea are not developing countries. You know what I'm saying? They're more advanced than Canada and the US according to a whole lot of metrics. So it's not like you know pre-modern people who are still living in ancient communities and cultures and, and worldviews. They're not the ones who are turning to Christ. It's very modern, educated people who are seeing things differently than we see them here in North America. And also, quite frankly, if I can just be blunt, it's a little icky to say, well, once these other people in the other parts of the world, once they get enlightened and educated like us here in Canada, then they'll finally know. That's a really ethnocentric and kind of gross view of the world, you know? Like one day you'll be as smart or enlightened. You'll have the insight that we do. No, maybe not, man. Maybe they're on to truth and we're the ones who have gotten it wrong. And if you're thinking to yourself, okay, but in those countries, I bet there's a lot of pressure for people to convert, you know, either from the government or from society or from family. Let me tell you, in most of the places that Christianity is growing at the fastest rate, the pressures are against conversion, not towards conversion. That is, people are turning to faith not because it alleviates their problems or pressures, but in spite of the problems and pressures that they feel in their society. Listen, there are places in the world where if you give your life to Christ, you are immediately persecuted, sometimes put to death. And these seem to be the places where people are taking their faith most seriously. I think you have to ask yourself, why? 
Why would somebody in a country in which turning to Jesus could cost them their life, why are they doing it? And not just individuals, but huge swaths of the population. Real quick, why does this matter? Well, if you're a believer, if if you're a Christian, it can be really easy in Canada in 2019 to think to yourself, man, you know, I just feel all alone in my faith. I don't have any other believers in my workplace. Um, It seems like nobody in our city is taking faith seriously. Um, It can feel like your faith is treated with contempt by other people. They're like, oh, you're one of those people, right? It is very easy to feel like you are on the losing side. But can I tell you, you are a part of a growing movement around the world that people are recognizing that what you believe is also what they believe. And they are turning to Christ. And not only are you not alone, but you're a part of the supermajority of our planet. Your faith does not make you strange. Your faith in God actually makes you extremely normal. Okay, if you're a skeptic, why would this data matter? Well, let me tell you, I think it's important that all of us, Christians need to do this, but I think that people who are not Christians need to do this as well. We need to recognize that if there is a narrative that our culture has told us and it is false, it is demonstrably false, then we need to know it and we need to abandon it. Nobody wants to believe something that's not true. That's not helpful. And so if you've bought into the idea that, man, less and less people are believing and, you know, eventually religion will pass away, that is simply not the case. And I hope that you would consider the implications of what I have said so far this morning, that nearly nine out of 10 people on the planet have a religious faith in God. I don't just mean that they like, yeah, I'm, I'm spiritual, but not religious. And there's probably something that started this, but I don't know who or what. Nine out of 10, nearly nine out of 10, 85% of the world's population says that they have a religious belief in God. To me, that seems to indicate that the default state of human existence is faith and that it's atheism that has to be learned. And that if you have no faith in God, that makes you the extreme outlier in society. You are the one who is essentially saying, I have insight and knowledge that 85% of the rest of the world simply doesn't have. And maybe you do, okay? Like maybe you see things more clearly than the 99 billion people that have lived throughout history that had a faith in God. That's the actual number. Maybe you see it more clearly. But boy, is that a confident stance to take. You know what I'm saying? If the evidence points us towards faith and most people have a faith and you're the one who says, no, not me. I see things clearly. Maybe, but you better be really, really sure to take the stand that says it's me against the rest of the world. Okay, just because everybody or nearly everybody believes in God doesn't prove anything though. You with me? Like you could, everybody could believe something that's wrong. Everybody used to believe the world was flat. It's not. Sorry, flat earthers. If you think it is, you're wrong. Okay. So everybody can have a false belief and we don't determine truth by the majority. So let me give you, as we kind of close this up this morning, Let me give you an argument that might produce some evidence that would cause us to believe God could exist, okay? Let me give you some small piece of evidence regarding the reasonableness of a active faith 
in God. So what we'll do this morning is I'll share with you a piece of evidence that's often called the argument from contingency. Man, I sound smart saying that. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah, that, that's good, man. I, I think that's, that's like university lecture style stuff right there. Really what we're talking about is God as first cause. Okay, that's what this means. See, philosophers tell us that everything on the planet can be categorized, or everything in the universe, rather, can be categorized in one of two ways. And this is true if it's an object, if it's a property of some object, if it's an ideal, everything can be categorized in one of two ways. Either things are what we call contingent. And a contingent thing depends on something else for its existence. A contingent thing is the effect of some other cause. Are you with me? Contingent means I have to have something else in order to exist or to display my properties. So something like the coffee that you had this morning. You were out in the lobby. You grabbed a sweet cup of joe. Shout out to our baristas. You guys are amazing. Thank you for caffeinating us each and every morning. Your coffee was contingent on the baristas making it. If Elsie didn't show up and brew that coffee, you'd still be thirsty, So it was contingent on her, but it's also contingent on Rosso roasting the beans, right? And it's contingent on some farmer in Honduras growing the beans. And it's contingent upon the properties of H2O and on and on it goes. We could not have coffee without all of these prior causes because coffee is an effect. It is a contingent thing. So the other thing, we'll have to skip ahead, I think, two slides. They may be slightly out of order. So we have contingent things, but then we also have what we call necessary things. And necessary things are beings, objects, ideals, properties, and they're not dependent on any other cause for their existence or nature, okay? These are things that simply exist and they can never fail to exist and there's nothing we could do to change them. At no point in history, either past or in the future, will they ever not be what they are now, okay? So some common examples of these are like mathematics and sets. When people talk about the purity of math, I hate math, you guys. I hate it so stinking much. I was so bad at it in school. Come on, where are my math haters at? Couldn't stand it. And I lost half of you. All right. But when people talk about the purity of math, what they're talking about is math just is. Numbers just are. Like we uncovered, we discovered, and they seem to be intrinsic and there's not really a way to say that they're dependent on anything else. Sets are another one, a set of something. It just is. There is no contingency. It is necessary or another word that we could use is it is eternal. So here's the deal. Everything on earth is either contingent or necessary. And nearly everything in the universe is contingent. It requires some other cause in order for it to exist. I might point out that you are a contingent being. Your existence was contingent upon your parents meeting, falling in love, having a glass of wine, I'm sorry to do that to you, but you know, I mean, your, your existence was contingent on your parents making you. So nearly everything in the known universe is contingent. So there are a few things, though, that are necessary. They just exist without any other cause. And so one of the oldest questions in philosophy and science is, can we follow the contingencies all the way back? 
That is, can we look at the cause and effect relationship and just start working our way back? And if we go back far enough, would we ever find the first cause? Would we ever find the uncaused cause, the thing that started this off, the thing that had all the effects that we see, but itself was not the effect of something previous, okay? This is a really, I mean, people have been debating this for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Is the universe necessary or is it contingent? So if we kind of look at the overarching kind of belief system of humanity, like the earliest humans believed that the universe was necessary. Or actually, I'm sorry, the earliest humans believed that the universe was contingent. They believed that the universe, us, the planet, everything exists because of the creative acts or effects of the gods, right? It was, things exist because the gods made them or they fought a battle and the earth resulted out of it. So for millennia, people believed that the universe itself was contingent. Then along about the time the Greek philosophers came along, they said, well, wait a sec, maybe the universe is not contingent. Maybe it's eternal. Or to use the philosophical word, maybe it is necessary. It just always has existed and it always will exist. There's no way it'll ever stop its existence. And so for a long time, there was this back and forth about who was right and did the universe have a beginning or was it simply eternal? And those of you guys who are sitting here in the theater today and you know a little bit about science, you're like, well, now we know the universe has a beginning. Because in 1964, scientists discovered something that we call the cosmic microwave background radiation. I'm telling you guys, I sound so smart today. I said that without stumbling. Um, But seriously, this is my jam, you guys. I've got space tattoos, not religious tattoos. I read about this stuff for fun. And so scientists discovered this energy that was left over from the beginning of the universe. And what that means is we now know scientifically that our universe had a start date. It had a beginning. It had a birthday. And so then we started thinking to ourselves, okay, well, if the universe is the effect of some other cause, it had a start date, what was that cause? Christians are like, God, science just proved it. It's God. And scientists are like, nah, that can't be it. That can't be it. So then they started thinking, okay, maybe the universe had its start at the Big Bang 13.8 billion years ago. Perhaps it did. Can we? Yeah, thank you. Um, Maybe it had its start. But what scientists thought for a very long time was that the universe was eternal. It was necessary. And we were just caught in this giant cycle of Big uh, big Bang and then Big Crunch. Have you ever heard this? They, They used to believe that like, boom, it happened. And eventually gravity would pull all the exploded matter and energy and it would back into one giant singularity. And when that happened, it would boom again. And we just happened to be in one of these endless cycles that produced life. But there have been an infinite number of universes before and an infinite number of universes after. Science was saying the universe itself is necessary. It just is. But once again, Science has shown us that the universe is not expanding then contracting. The universe is continuing to expand. Sorry to be a bummer, but scientists tell us that eventually the universe will expand to the point that all the heat and energy just dissipates and we all freeze. There's no more big crunch. Now scientists talk about the big chill. So here's the deal. We have scientific evidence that tells us The universe had a birthday. Let's put this slide on the screen. The universe has a birthday. And we know that anything with a birthday is contingent on some other cause. 
It had a beginning. It is the effect of something else. Something created it, set it all into motion. The cause of this giant, wonderful universe, it has to exist outside of the properties and nature of the universe that it created. You cannot be the effect that you create. You have to be the cause of the effect, right? So whatever it is that caused the universe, it must exist outside and independent of the universe, time and space, so to speak. Guys, the only word in human vocabulary that could possibly come close to describing such a being is God. Now, look, I get it. God is a general term and it could mean a lot of different things. But this is literally the only word that even comes close to making any sense out of the cosmological evidence and the rational evidence that we see. Therefore, my conclusion is that God is the most logical first cause. That God is the uncaused cause. He is the necessary being who set in motion this contingent universe that we see. So my question is kind of this, which worldview makes the best sense out of the scientific evidence that we see? That nothing turned itself into everything, which physics tells us is impossible. There's no way that that could happen. Or that there was a first cause And we would call that God because it's the only word that we have for that first cause. And it, he, she, it, I don't know, at this point, we're being very general and vague. I understand that. But this first cause brought this marvelous and huge and complex universe into existence. To me, the best answer for the evidence that we have is that the universe didn't create itself, something outside of the universe created itself. And if you're skeptical, you're saying to yourself, no, 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 Dan, that cannot be because there are no supernatural beings and you know what we can sense with our senses and prove scientifically, that's all there is, right? Well, listen, if that is your philosophy, it is incumbent on you to come up with another first cause that is logically consistent and it actually follows where the evidence leads. And I've watched a million debates and I've had a hundred conversations with people who have this um, naturalistic worldview. And every time I ask what caused the Big Bang, the question is always like, we don't know. Maybe someday we'll discover the cause of the Big Bang. But until then, we just don't know. So watch this now. If you have no faith, if you're a naturalist, what you wanna say is just have faith that one day we will discover the answer. Who's living by faith? Both of us. We both are. To me, the evidence points most logically to the idea that there was, there is a creator. And everybody's like, well, then who created God, man? When did he get his start? Okay, I get it. That's a good question to get high and ask your buddies. I get it. (laughs) I've been there. Um, But remember, God is an eternal being. He is necessary. By definition, he had no beginning. He has no end. 
And you're like, well, why can't the universe just be that? Because we know it had a birthday. For goodness sake, the evidence points us to the idea that the universe is contingent upon this eternal, wonderful, loving being who set it all in motion and gave you life and gave you a mind to follow the evidence. And you know what's so amazing to me? Skeptics are like, y'all just believe because the Bible. The Bible said it, so I believe it. But you know, the Bible tells us that God gave us a mind. He wants us to use our mind. And he wants us to follow the evidence as it leads our minds and to draw the proper conclusion. I'm gonna close by reading this one small section of verses. In Romans chapter number one, verses 19 and 20 in the message version of the Bible. The scripture says, the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their physical eyes cannot see. The eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of God's divine being. I think there is plenty of reasons to believe. And they don't all come from the Bible. Some of them do, and we'll eventually get there. But for now, I wonder. For now, I hope that your mind would open just enough to say, all right, you haven't convinced me yet, Dan. But I'll give another listen to more of what you have to say. And maybe, just maybe, I could agree with you for now that it's reasonable to believe that there is a God behind all of this that we see around us. Now, some of you, you're like, Dan, I don't need arguments. Today, I need God. I don't need some equation. I need an experience with my heavenly father and I've been putting it off or I'm showing up and I'm feeling overwhelmed. And what I'm telling you that you're feeling in the moment is the first cause, the uncreated one, reaching down into the universe and touching your heart and pulling on your mind and saying, I wanna have a personal relationship with you. My hope and prayer is that you would know this God the way that I do and so many of these others do as well. And so I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. If you're ready, if you're not, that's cool. Come back and be skeptical next week. I'm good with that. But for now, if you say, hey, this is me, whatever it is, I want a relationship with this God. I'll ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And you might just repeat this very simple prayer after me. You might say, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. I trust that you're there, but I don't have all the answers. Today, I'm reaching out by faith because I believe you're there and you receive me to yourself. Forgive me, God, for ignoring you for so long. Help me, God, to have a personal relationship with you today. I'm asking this by faith. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, who makes it possible.